There is an article in Reader's Digest by a man named Mark Smith. And uh, in this article, Mark describes how when he was filling out a college scholarship application, uh, that there was a section that asked him to write down his extracurricular activities. And so he wrote down wrestling, because that's what he did in high school. In the very next section, um, there was uh, a thing that said positions held, and he wrote down uh, pinned mostly. Thanks for the groans. All right. Everybody likes a good sports story, a sports joke, and wrestling in this case. And wrestling, and specifically because there is a confounding moment in Scripture that maybe you've come across yourself, maybe you've heard, maybe you've heard about, that causes someone to read or to listen to and go, what in the world is that about? That's what we're doing over the course of the series. We started that last week. I encourage you to check that message out. If you weren't with us last week, you can hear that or watch it. We talked about Jesus cursing the fig tree in in, uh, the book of Mark. And today we're going to dive into a passage that at first glance seems very, very strange. But before we look into it further, we're going to uh, take a moment and we're going to read it together. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, Genesis, first book of the Bible. You're going to turn to chapter 32, or you can look up on the screen. That will be up there as well. But Genesis chapter 32, we're going to start with verse 22. Here we go. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. What in the world is going on in this passage? It's okay to ask that question. What, what in the world is this all about? Why in the world, in the middle of Genesis, do we all of a sudden enter into this ultimate fighting match? So to get a complete and necessary picture of this encounter, we need to understand that this event is tied explicitly to two other precursor events in the life of Jacob. So the first necessary precursor event in the life of Jacob, is when Jacob stole his brother Esau's blessing. Now, if you don't know who Jacob is, it's it's fine. Let's, Let's kind of backtrack a little bit. So God made a promise to Abraham. 
in the book of Genesis, earlier in the book of Genesis. And he told Abraham, essentially, I'm going to give you this land and also your descendants, they're, all going, to, they're going to outnumber grains of sand. This is a promise that God gave to Abraham. And this promise then was attributed to not only Abraham, but then his son Isaac. So Isaac, Abraham's son, had two twin sons with his wife, Rebekah. And the name of those two sons were Esau and Jacob. Now, Esau was a man's man. Right? That's how the Bible describes him. He was a hunter. I mean, he was, he was a, a man of the land. Uh, but Jacob was completely different. So Jacob was literally a mama's boy. That's how he's described. He was a mama's boy and a homebody. Very different than his brother Esau. And even though Esau and Jacob were twins, Esau was the oldest because he was born first. Are there any twins, like anybody who is a twin in the room? So you know it's a big deal, right? Who was born first? That when you're a twin, you make everybody aware of this fact. Esau was born first. And because Esau was born first, the way that that culture and tradition uh, interacted with society at that time was, was that Esau was then to receive Isaac's birthright blessing, okay? But Jacob wanted that blessing for himself. He didn't want Esau to have that. Jacob wanted it. And so Jacob convinced Esau to sell him his birthright, or really to trade it. Does anybody know what Jacob traded with Esau in order to get his blessing? Stew. Stew. What an idiot, right? I mean, this guy, Esau, he comes in, he's hungry. I, maybe I've been that hungry, I don't know. But this is like the quintessential birthright, right? And, and, and he comes in, and Jacob literally trades his birthright for some stew. But here's the catch. Jacob needed this not just from Esau, but much more importantly, plan, uh, you know, step two of the plan, he needed it from Isaac, from his dad. Now, Isaac was getting up there in years, and, and his eyes were going, were going bad, and he wasn't able to see really good at all. And so one day, Isaac, recognizing that his time was coming to an end, he goes to his son Esau because he needs to, needs to give this blessing to Esau. And he asks Esau to go out to hunt like he's really good at, to go hunt some game, kill it, prepare it, and then serve it to him. And then Isaac says to him, when, when you do that, when you hunt and prepare it and serve it to me, I will then give you your birthright blessing. But Isaac's wife, remember I told you there was a mama's boy thing going on there? Well, she looked out for Jacob. And so Isaac's wife, Rebekah, Jacob's mom, overheard this agreement between Isaac and Esau. And so she then goes to Jacob and convinces Jacob to, uh, to go out and kill one of the goats that they own. Go out and kill one of the goats, prepare that, and then prepare. Pretend that you are Esau. Pretend that you are Esau. Isaac's not going to know because he can't see anything anyways, right? Now, Jacob didn't initially want to go through with it, but it, it, he eventually agrees. So Jacob does that. He goes out and he kills one of the family goats, and he cooks it up, and then he goes in, 
pretending that he's Esau. Now, Esau, side note, Esau was really hairy, and so Jacob puts on fur and stuff. I mean, Esau must have been really, really hairy then. But he goes out and he cooks this uh, goat and he presents it to his father. Jacob does all the while pretending to be Esau. And because Isaac has poor eyesight, he gives Jacob the birthright blessing. But like any quintessential drama, any good drama, this is the moment that Esau walks into the room. He walks into the room and he sees Isaac giving Jacob, his blessing. And he gets furious. What in the world? But it's too late because Isaac has already given the blessing to Jacob. And so Esau pleads with his father Isaac, take this back. Take it back. You know, give it to me instead. And Isaac looks at his son Esau and in, in chapter 27, verse 37, this is what he says. Uh, Isaac says, I have made him, Jacob, that is, Lord over you, and have made all of your relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son, he says. It's too late. And then to add insult to injury, Isaac then tells Esau that, that he, being Esau, would live by the sword and that Esau will serve his brother Jacob. I mean, this news, as you can understand, just enraged Esau. And he vowed, he vowed in that moment, I am going to kill my brother. But I'm going to wait till dad dies. And Jacob found out about this, of course. And being fearful for his life, he flees. Now, he not only flees, but he gets out of Dodge. I mean, he goes to a place called Haran, which if you look at this map, uh, it, it kind of gives you an idea. 454 miles. That's a long distance for us even now. If we were to go on a road trip, that would, that would take, I don't know how many hours. I'm not an accountant. I'm horrible with math. But it would be long. Way longer back then. 454 miles. I mean, he goes to a completely different part of the world in that time. And that's where he is. And that's where we get to the second necessary precursor to this story of Jacob's wrestling match with God. And that is the moment that Jacob prepares to meet Esau once again after 20 years of being gone. 20 years, a long time. And a lot happened over the course of 20 years. There are chapters uh, devoted to this that we're not going to dive into, but if I can give you a synopsis, it was in that time that Jacob had another foe. He had another enemy. And this is an enemy that some of you, frankly, can relate to. It was an in-law. Anybody want to wax poetic about that? I won't. Never mind. Not all in-laws are, 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 are great. Not all in-laws are bad. This in-law relationship was not good. So this in-law, his name was Laban. And Laban was the future father, father-in-law, eventual father-in-law of, of uh, um, Jacob. And his wife, Rachel, is who Jacob had an eye for. 
he fell head over heels. So much so. So much so that Laban was able, able to uh, convince Jacob to commit seven years of work. Seven years of work, and then he would get, hand over Rachel in marriage. But after seven years of work, he gives, secretly he gives uh, Jacob his other daughter. I mean, it's a whole mess. Anyway, so there's another seven years. Twenty years, he finally gets Rachel. He finally gets together with Rachel. They start a family, and he ends up getting possessions and belongings. But in all of this, Laban just abuses Jacob's love for his daughter, Rachel, and manipulates him at every turn. So after having spent many years building this family, belongings, and possessions in, in the area of Haran, God then tells Jacob, he tells Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers. You know that place that you left, that you fled from 20 years ago, go back to that place. And so Jacob, he goes back and he arrives at his homeland and once there, he knows, he's got this at the forefront of his mind, Esau. 20 years ago, this hasn't been rectified. There's been no reconciliation here. The last thing Jacob remembers is Esau threatening to kill him. And so he goes and he sends out messengers ahead of him, Jacob does, and he says, hey, go to Esau, my brother. He's not happy with me. Go out and tell him that, you know, I'm a good guy. I mean, no harm. I want to I make you know, amends. And so these messengers go out and they meet with Esau and they come back. And, and here's, the, here's the deal. They say, okay, well, listen, um, we went and talked to Esau. We told him that, you know, you're a good guy, that you want to make amends. And um, Esau said that he's, he's coming out to meet you. Oh, um, and he's uh, bringing 400 people with him. And Jacob is understandably mortified by this, right? Petrified. Not only is Esau, this guy, this brother that said he was going to kill him, not only is he coming out to him, but he's bringing 400 dudes with him. I mean, this is bad news. And so Jacob is, is understandably petrified, so he decides. What does he decide to do? He takes all of his stuff, all of his servants, his, his, his livestock, all of his belongings and possessions, and he separates them. He, he splits them in half, and he sends one this way and another this way, thinking that at least half of my stuff will get through this. But he's utterly confused. He's utterly confounded. Because God, God told Jacob to go back to his homeland. God told Jacob to go back. It was God who said in chapter 31, verse 3, say, he said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. But now, now it would seem that, okay, Jacob's back, but he's, he's on the verge of getting slaughtered by his brother and these 400 men that are coming with him. I mean, God had also given Jacob a promise in Genesis 28. It says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. I mean, he talks about that your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. God makes this promise. 
So why would God send Jacob back to his homeland? Why would he give him this promise only to then have Jacob fall by the sword of his brother Esau? What in the world? So Jacob is, is just full of fear and bewilderment. And so he, does, he, he sought to appease Esau further. And so he, he wants to give Esau a gift of peace. So this is what he gave him. He, said, he gave him 220 goats, 220 sheep, 30 camels, 50 cows, and 30 donkeys. So I'm going to send this out. This will appease my brother. And then what he does is he goes and he sends out his entire family so that he can be alone. And that's where we find ourselves in Genesis 32, verse 22. This is where we were when we read this passage earlier. But now we're going we're gonna to set the stage even further, all right? We're going to get ready for this quintessential wrestling match. Here we go. Genesis 32, verses 22 through 30. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing in this corner, Jacob and the Almighty God, Lord of Lords. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons, and he crossed the fort of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Why in the world are we looking at this passage? Well, here's where we need to hone in. This wrestling match that Jacob experienced, this weird moment in Scripture, this was the culmination of a life filled with struggle. See, Jacob, when he was born, right out of the womb, he was living a life of struggle because Esau came out first, and it says that Jacob was grabbing the heel of Esau. And then all throughout his life, Jacob continued to live continuously a life of struggle. He lived a life of struggle against his father, Isaac. He lived uh, against, in struggle against his brother Esau, against, against his father-in-law Laban. But it was in this moment, it was in this moment that Jacob, as he was wrestling with God that night, that he finally realized that his struggle all along had been with God himself. You see, the blessing, the blessing that Jacob coveted that he wanted so much from his father Isaac, he didn't realize, he didn't think about this. That blessing, it wasn't Isaac's to give. That blessing all along had always been God's to give. 
It was God's blessing to give. And so that goal, the goal that night, as Jacob wrestled with God, the goal that night was to show Jacob that it's not about him. Instead, it had always been about God. And it was God who needed to dismantle Jacob's pride and to engage his tenacity instead. Now, I'm a big Marvel fan. I, I'm, my family are, are big Marvel fans as well. We love the movies. You know. And one that I'm not too crazy about is Doctor Strange. It's a strange movie. You're supposed to laugh at that. But I'll work on this. I'll work on this. But in this movie, Doctor Strange, right, there, this whole life, his whole life, he's thought of no one but himself. He's just dead set on meeting his own needs and meeting his own wants. The focus is always on self. And it culminates in this beautiful moment in the middle of the movie where his mentor, his mentor is on the verge of death, and they have this conversation with one another where she tells him some profound truth. Check this out. To return to your body now you don't have time time is relative your body hasn't even hit the floor yet i've spent so many years peering through time looking at this exact moment but i can't see past it i've prevented countless terrible futures and after each one there's always another and they all lead here but never further you think this is where you die you wonder what I see in your future? No. Yes. I never saw your future, only its possibilities. You have such a capacity for goodness. You always excelled, but not because you craved success, but because of your fear of failure. That's what made me a great doctor. It's precisely what kept you from greatness. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. Which is? It's not about you. You see, throughout Jacob's life, God's plan was never in doubt. It was never in question. God's plan would always win the day. Always win the day. So Jacob's focus, it needed to be redirected. All of Jacob's life, he was focused on the wrong things. He was focused on his father's blessing. He was focused on his brother Esau. He was, he was focused on his love for Rachel. He was focused on uh, the, his dispute with his father-in-law. He was focused on his possessions and on his belongings. But it wasn't until this moment, when he's wrestling with God, that Jacob finally realized that his focus need be on God alone. And as a result of this, of this wrestling match, Jacob emerged broken, named, and blessed. Broken, named, and blessed. See, God broke Jacob's hip to remind him that Jacob needed to rely on God and God alone. 
And so God gave him the new name Israel, which testifies to Jacob's struggle with God and, and then to also his tenacious character, Jacob's tenacious character to persevere. And then God blessed Jacob. He blessed Jacob by further pointing to the unbreakable promise that, that he had already given to Abraham and to Isaac and now to him and his descendants. And how did it go for Jacob and for Esau? And that next day, when Esau arrived to meet Jacob with 400 men, Jacob approached his brother with caution. And as Jacob approached his, his brother, Esau responded by doing something that Jacob could never have anticipated. In verse 4 of Genesis 33, it says that Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. And he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. You know what's interesting? We are constantly surprised by God and the, his work in our lives. We're constantly surprised by God. But have you ever asked yourself this question, why? Why are we so surprised? I mean, isn't God the God who, who never fails isn't God the one who is forever faithful, who is ever true? Isn't it God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Why are we surprised by God being God? Well, the reason we're surprised is because we are afraid to give control to anyone other than ourselves. We need to stop wrestling with others. We got to stop putting our focus on, on, on all these strifes and issues that we have with the world around us and put our focus on God alone. Wrestle with God. Wrestle with God. I guarantee that if you do, you will come out broken, named and blessed and that's where we need to be let's pray father god lord today is a new day and your mercies are new every day you meet us exactly where we're at and you provide mercy and grace and abundance and so lord i pray that as you lead us that we would rely on you and while relying on you, understand that we're relying on a God who is forever faithful, who is forever true, who will never, ever disappoint, who will never, ever leave us nor forsake us. May we focus on you. And may we be broken. May we be named may we be blessed. In your name, amen. Hope that you have a wonderful day today. Love you all. God bless.